0: Good morning, church. Good morning. I am excited to be with you this morning. Welcome on campus and welcome to everyone that is watching online. I was able to jump on for a few seconds and say hello to everyone. I'm so grateful that you're watching and, and part of our service today. That worship was incredible, wasn't it? It's amazing. <clears throat> there um, was a guy that I, I knew, he was from Germany, and his name was, uh, what was his name, Henrik, no, that doesn't sound German, Walter, his name was Walter, and Walter was trying to learn English, and he went to a training course titled Improve Your English, and he was taking an oral exam after the class, and the examiner asked him to spell cultivate, you know, C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-E. And uh, Walter did great. He was able to spell it. And then the examiner asked uh, Walter to use the word cultivate in a sentence. So Walter thought about it for a while, a few minutes passed. Then he replied, Last winter, on a very cold day, I was waiting for the bus, but it was to cultivate. So I took an underground train home. How many of you in your waiting season season feel like it is to cultivate <laughs> and you're ready to take the train home, right? We're talking about waiting, the benefits of being stuck. And the big idea of this series is that we often feel stuck in our lives. Often. And it's not a, a one-time kind of stuck. It's an often kind of, oh, here I am again. Stuck in our finances, stuck in our relationships, stuck in our career. Uh, We feel stressed about our schedules or we're in a particular situation that we want to get out of. The waiting for the next thing often seems endless. And it's not until we come out of the waiting that we often realize we didn't really have to wait that long. But it felt like an eternity. It felt like forever. And sometimes I wonder, God, could you just tell me how long? Like, tell me when the waiting's going to end. And then I I have, you know, this, this drop dead date to where I can endure. I know that on April 4th, it's over. But instead, he calls me to a daily wait a daily trusting, a daily settling. So today, I wanna to encourage all of us to continue in our waiting. Whatever it is that you're waiting for, continue to wait well, continue to be strong in your waiting. Psalm twenty-seven fourteen says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Some of us in our waiting, we need to let our heart take courage this morning. We've allowed the waiting to win. We've allowed the impatience to grow. We've allowed the hope deferred to make our hearts sick. But I'm suggesting to us from Psalm 27 that we have the capacity to take courage. Let our hearts take courage. Father, I come before you today as we step into this moment of teaching God, I thank you for the past two weeks discussing waiting and timing and your goodness and your faithfulness. God, whatever it is that your word speaks to us today, God, I ask that we would take it and apply it. God, let it be salve to our eyes. Let it be oil to our heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen. 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 I want to get right to our, our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, We're going to start with verse 13 through 16. We're going to read through that together. Now, Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, In fact, until the 1800s, it was pretty widely accepted that Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, Today, most scholars believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, though there are some people who think it was not Paul. Uh, But I believe it's Paul, and I want to take you to chapter 11 Hebrews 11, verse 13 through 16. And we're going to read through it once and then we'll, we'll stop and we'll come back and read through it again and kind of stop in various parts, okay? Are you with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 11? If you're with me, say yes. yes. All right. Hebrews 11, chapter, <laughs> chapter 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I probably should back up. Who are these? Who are these people that have died? If you have your Bible open, you could have already uh, corrected me and found that out. But in just a few verses before, we see that all of these people, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, many people of the faith, these are the people who died in faith. All right, let's pick back up. They died in faith, verse 13, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them for a city. There's one phrase that really jumped out at me when I read this text, Hebrews 11:13 13 through 16. And it's in the very first line. And if you were to look back in verse 13, you would see this phrase, not having received the things promised. Does that concern you like it concerned me? Wait, a promise is a promise. Do you know what? If you're going to promise me something, I'm going to expect you to deliver. But yet in Hebrews 11, I mean, that's it. If I promise my wife her birthday is this month, February 23rd, she turns years old. If I make a promise to her, I better show up and have the car loaded, gas in the car, ready to take her where I have promised to take her, right? If, if your kids promise that they're gonna get caught up on their homework, They better get caught up on their homework. Like a promise is a promise. When you get married and you say, I do, we expect that that promise is going to be fulfilled. Right? A promise is a promise, yet I noticed here it said all of these wonderful men and women of faith died not having received the promise. So Abraham dies not having received the promise. And here's Trey waiting on a promise. If Abraham died not having received his promise, what gives me the right to think that God is going to come through on my promise? Are you tracking with me? It's a little concerning, is it not? Not having received the promise. So I want to talk about that, the tension of when we're expecting something to happen, but yet the possibility that we won't receive the promise. I know you didn't want to come here for this message today. You wanted the message that guaranteed you that you're going to have the promise within 24 hours, within 48 hours, within nine months, You know what I'm saying? Let's continue on and read about more people of faith who did not receive the promise. We'll skip down to verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell. In other words, he's saying, I don't have enough time to tell you of all the stories, to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Iftha'ah, David and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Now he's going to list their credentials. They conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, all these people doing all of these things, though commended through their faith, did not receive What was promised? Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. It's not very fun, is it? What if we don't receive that promise? What then? I want to jump back up to verse 13. We're going to read that again, and I'm going to break it down for us just for a moment before I extrapolate my points for today. But verse 13 says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. These all died in faith, that is Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, continued to believe to the end of their lives that God would fulfill this promise, but they never They never saw the promise come to pass. They never saw the numerous seed. They never got to see the promised rest in Cana. They never got to see the Messiah who was to come. That is not having received the fulfillment of the promises or the promised blessings. They all died in faith, expecting God to still come through. I don't know if you've ever prayed for someone and you've witnessed them taking their last breath. And up until the last breath, you were believing that God was going to come through. They were believing for God, believing that God was going to come through. They died in faith. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, they saw from afar the promises. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Abraham said in Genesis 23, 4, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. That is, he regarded himself as a foreigner. Not of this world. He was a stranger in the land. We, you and I, friends, are not of this world. We're only passing through. We are looking for a city whose foundation was made by God. How many of us use these expressions? I'm only passing through. I'm a I'm an alien in this world. I'm I'm you know, time is short and it's a vapor, and I'm just passing through. How many of us use these expressions, professing to be strangers and pilgrims here below, and yet the whole of our conduct and attitude and emotions and attachments show that we are perfectly at home? How little consideration. And weight we give to our confessions, to our professions, and whether they relate to earth or to heaven. But these men and women of faith who died in faith, not having received the promise, one thing they were sure of they were sure that they were headed to a city. Verse 14 For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. I think about the children of Israel. Once they left Egypt and then they got tired of the manna, the free food. They got tired of the wilderness, free scenery. They got tired of all the things that God was providing for them. And they started to moan and complain and demand that they go back to the place where they were in captivity. Well, I want to challenge us today that while we're in the waiting and we're staying in faith, that we kept pressing, keep pressing forward to the place where we're headed, not to the place where we've been. It's really easy to go back to the comfortable place. Many of us w- would rather settle for the comfortable situation that we don't like because we understand how it works rather than step into the unknown. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. I've written a summary of this whole block of text. You can write this down or rewind and play it later. You can put it on your bathroom mirror. It is this, people can still be living in faith when they die, even if by that time they do not receive the things promised. By faith, the old saints saw the promised realities from a distance and persisted in their pilgrim character, looking for a country of their own and refusing to return to the land they had left. I suppose the great news for us today that even if we don't receive that final solution, that, that final crescendo of the promise, we can still see it afar off. And you know there's no distance in heaven. So what we can see afar off, we can partake of up close. I want to break that down for us today. The first thing I would like you to write down... The benefits of a promise are available when we embrace the promise. The benefits of a promise are available when we embrace the promise. Not when the promise is solidified, not when the solution is here, not when the recovery is done, not when the healing is accomplished, not when the the, the marriage is perfectly healthy. When we have a promise, the benefits of that promise Start immediately. You understand, I hope, that you are right now an eternal being. You don't start being eternal the moment you die. You have eternal life the moment you said yes to Jesus. Your eternal life with him be- began the moment you said yes to Jesus. You are already living in your life eternal state. You're already living in eternity. The benefits of eternal life with Jesus Christ don't start when you get to heaven. They started when you said yes. The benefits of peace, the benefits of joy, the benefits of eternal security, the benefits of Somebody understanding you, somebody knowing you, somebody seeing you, somebody hearing you, all began the moment you said yes. The Greek word for received, they had not received the promise. The Greek word for received signifies the actual participation in and possession of possession of the promise. Faith then relies upon and rests in that which is not yet ours. Walking in faith requires there to be something that is not yet received. If you got every promise that was ever promised, you would no longer be walking in faith. That's a good word. So some of us who are crying ourselves to sleep at night for that promise, that may be the one thing, keeping you in the faith. Because faith requires there to be something that we can see afar off, but we're not actually engaged in the solution of it, in the final state of it, in, in the crescendo of the promise, a large part of the life of faith consists of laying hold of and enjoying the things promised before the actual possession of them is obtained. The present spiritual happiness of the Christian, you and I and anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, consists more in promises and expectant anticipation than in actual possession. Have you ever thought about that? Our our state as a Christian relies more in the anticipation of, the expectation of, the looking forward to, the knowing that God can and he will and he's about to. That's what the Christian life is about. We know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. We understand that this enables us to understand Romans eight. 18 For I reckon that the sufferings of this present present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. These things that we are currently wrestling with won't compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. This is the very essence of the believer's life. Promises not yet fulfilled. Yet it seems as if we are all racing after promises and we can't live an abundant Christian life until they get here. You're living the abundant Christian life as you're pursuing them. Psalm thirty-three twenty 20 through 21 reads, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in Him because we, what? We trust In his holy name, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The Webster's definition of trust is assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. Let me just read that again and see if that does not describe God. Assured reliance on the character. Good there. Ability, I think he's qualified. Strength, no one stronger. Or truth, no one truer. Of someone or something. So when I say we need to trust in God, what I'm saying is we need to rely on the character, the ability, the strength, and the truth of our creator. And if at any point you can prove that he doesn't match the criteria of that, then you can stop trusting him. When people think about waiting on the Lord or trusting him, many immediately picture this passive attitude. Hitting the snooze button one more time, not waking up, going and taking the day, not setting events on your calendar or meeting with people, not pushing the ball forward, not not making things happen because you're just passively waiting on the Lord. But can I just remind us all, waiting on the Lord is not passive. I suggest there's nothing more active than waiting on the Lord. As many of the saints listed in Hebrews 11, you can go back and read the entire chapter, But they could attest, even though they did not receive the promises that they were waiting for, they still waited on the Lord and trusted him to fulfill his promises. Waiting on the Lord implies an attitude of confident, assurance, patient, endurance, steadfast hope, and willing obedience. The righteous, you and I, the righteous are those who wait on the Lord even without the satisfaction of seeing promises fulfilled and situations resolved. Are you going to trust him anyway? Are you going to step out in faith again anyway? Are you going to pray for and believe anyway? Like even, even if, and I hope every, every promise you're currently holding on to, I hope within 24 hours it's knocking on your door. But my question is, if it's not, are you going to anyway? A promise from God allows us to be unmoved when we understand the nature of promises, when we understand the nature of waiting, when we understand the sovereignty of God, when we understand the full benefits of being stuck. Sometimes God gives you a promise because he needs you to be stuck. Because there are benefits when you find a place at the end of yourself when you can't do it yourself and you need God to come through. So how do we wait well? How do we wait well? I have four, no, I have five ways that you can wait well. The first thing is do the next right thing. Sometimes while we're waiting, we become immobilized and frozen when we're in a waiting season, we don't know what to do, so we do nothing. Anyone ever been there? Is it just me? Come on. Anyone, you just don't know what to do, so ice cream sounds good. Another episode of Heartland on Netflix sounds good to my wife. The truth is we have to keep moving forward when we don't know what else to do, we need to do faithfully just what comes next sometimes for many of us it 's just waking up and brushing your teeth when you when your alarm goes off and your eyes open what 's next? brush my teeth don't don 't think too long don't don 't don 't sit there and wonder if it 's going to happen today don 't wonder if you 're going to get that big break don 't wonder if, if it 's going to be resolved. Just get up. I know I need to brush my teeth brush my teeth that 's the next right thing. Are you with me? Yes. sometimes we try to control so many things. You know, my daughter, Michaela, when she was a kid, she, she would be overwhelmed by her room. We called her our little artist, because no matter what she did, the, the, the world was her canvas. If she was eating, the face was her canvas. If she was playing in a room, the walls were her canvas, and like she did not know how to keep a clean room. I don't know how it is these days. I don't go in her room, but she's married, and she's an adult now, but as a kid, she did not know how. And so I would say, Michaela, go clean your room. And she would be so overwhelmed. And, of course, you know, she would come and ask me for help. And so what I did is I took string and I created a grid in her room. And I tied it wherever, you know, there's plenty of stuff to tie things. at. And so i tied tie it from here to here to here to here to here. And I would create blocks in her room. And I would say, Michaela, do what's in this block Don't worry about anything else, just clean this block. When you clean this block, go to the next block. Some of us need to find what block am I currently standing in? What is it that I need to take care of today? Let all the other stuff about tomorrow take care of itself. Let me clean this block in my room Even if I don't get to clean the whole room, I know I've got one clean block to stand in. Even if my world falls apart, I know my teeth are brushed today. Do the next right thing. Number two, evaluate your heart. How to wait well. Evaluate your heart. While we wait, we need to constantly evaluate our heart to see if what we're waiting for has become an idol in our life. I wonder how many of us today are pursuing a gift more than the gift giver. Number three, be where you are, be where you are, be where you are and be there well. Jim Elliott has a saying, it says, wherever you are, be all there. If you're on the couch with family and family time, be all there. Don't don't be at work tomorrow worried about what the boss is going to say or do tomorrow, wonder if you're going to get the promotion tomorrow. Be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. If you're at work, be all there. Don't worry about what the husband's going to say when you get home or the wife is going to say or the kids are going to do. Be all there. Give your employer 100% of you while you're there. Don't be... 60 percent there, and 40 percent Facebook. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that offensive? (laughs) Wherever you are, be all there. Number four, trust God in the waiting. There have been times where I've been resistant, but I've learned that God placed me in a specific place for a reason. These seasons are not mistakes. Can I just say it again? I know that we often feel like the delay is a mistake, that we somehow fell into a trap, that we somehow went into a dark room. But there is no season that you and I walk through that is a mistake. There is no season that we walk through that took God by surprise. We're exactly where he wants us to be. There is a sovereign purpose behind behind our in-between seasons. We need to trust God is good, that he's his intentions are holy toward us. He is at work in us, and there will be good that comes out of it. Point number five. While you're waiting, point number five, cover it and declare it. Cover it and declare it. Cover it and declare it. Keep crying out to God. Keep crying out to God. Let this cry of your heart remind you that That this is not your final destiny. This pit is not your grave. This dark room is not your forever. Eternity awaits. And let your heart's cry also remind you that Jesus came to answer that cry with one of his own cries. It is finished. What does it mean to cover and declare it? Find your promise in scripture. Write it on your bathroom mirror, put it on your phone screensaver, tag it on your car while you're driving, put it in your shower, put it wherever write it on your hand, do whatever you need to do to continue to recite these verses. Are you living in fear right now? You need to memorize 2 Timothy 1:7. Right? If your promise is a sound mind and your mind is not so sound, you should know what 2 Timothy 1.7 says. That is your promise. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You should also know 1 John 4.8, 4, 18 Perfect love casts out all fear. These are our promises that we we need to cover it and declare it. We need to remind ourselves. We need to be speaking these scriptures and saying, hey, God, don't, don't forget. This is your promise toward me. I'll finish with two final thoughts. There are some promises that find fulfillment beyond us. You see, it's easy for us to see the wins on our uh, resume as as being the initiators of legacy. Does that make sense? It's easy for us to see the things we've done well as being part of our legacy. But also part of your legacy or the promises you've embraced but yet not received. That means you may not see the fulfillment of a promise, but your children may. Your children may stand on the shoulders of your faith in a promise that you you didn't get to step into the promised land, but your children will because you were found faithful in believing in a promise that you could see afar off. Did you know that there are some promises that God has given you that he will never fulfill on this earth? You ever thought about that? (laughs) He's not interested in fulfilling the promise. He's interested in watching you pursue the promise. Because that's where the miracle is. The miracle isn't when the light comes on and you see clearly. The miracle is when you're in the dark and you hear the noise and you feel the bugs, (laughs) but you trust anyway. That's the miracle. In the waiting, there are some promises that will never be fulfilled on earth. I'll give you an example of one. You and I have a promise stepping into a city whose builder and maker is God. Just as Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, just as they had a promise that they did not yet receive, there are many of us, or some of us, potentially none of us, If Jesus were to come back right now, none of us, but some of us will die on earth without stepping into the promise of seeing that city. Are you with me? You die in faith, understanding that when you awake, there is a city that has been promised. There is an eternity that has been promised. There is a generation, of course, who won't see death They'll go from breathing here to stepping into that city immediately. But for most people, well, 100% of us, if, if Jesus tarries, 100% of us will die not having seen the return of Jesus. If Jesus doesn't come back, 100% of us will not see him come back. Are you, that's easy logic, Yeah. Yet we die in faith. All right, I'm going to tell you a quick, quick story, and then I'm done. There was a young man who, uh, this was back when a telegraph was the main way of communication, and he really needed a job. He really wanted the job, and he saw an ad in the paper. For a telegraph operator, I think they called it a Morse code operator. So he he shows up to the place where the job is, and he goes in, and he, he sits down, and there are many other people there applying for the Morse code operator position, and the office is hustling and bustling. You know, people are pouring coffee, and they're talking, shouting across the room, and a lot's going on. The lady at the front desk says, Sir, if you'll just have a seat and wait for a moment. Uh, we'll call you back to the inner room whenever we're we're ready for you. And so he sits down. He's a little nervous. There's so many people needing this job, and he he desperately needs the job. And a few minutes pass by, and the young man stands up, looks around, walks right back to the inner office, and closes the door. Naturally, the other applicants in the room started questioning questioning what's going on. They looked at one another and they said, I didn't hear them call for any of us. And he was the last one to show up. Why is he going in first? And they assumed that this young man was going to be disqualified because he didn't follow the rules. Within a few minutes, the employer walks out from the inner room and he's escorting the young man out of the office. And he said to the other applicants, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming, but the job has just been filled The other applicants began grumbling to each other and one spoke up saying, wait a minute, I don't understand. He was the last to come in and we never even got a chance to be interviewed, yet he got the job? That's not fair. The employer said, I'm sorry, but the last several minutes while you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it. This young, young man did. The job is his. We're so busy living in a world that is full of noise and clatter, just like that office. People are distracted and unable to hear the still, small voice of God as he speaks in creation, in the scriptures, and in the life and work of Jesus Christ. And while you're in the waiting room, you might just find hints of the father speaking to you so come on in father we come before you today god i thank you so much for what you're doing in the hearts and the lives of our people oh god we acknowledge it's it sure is hard to wait but you're in the waiting there's purpose for the waiting Sometimes the greatest win and greatest goal of the promise is in the process of the waiting. So, God, we choose to trust you. We choose to trust you in the waiting. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you guys.